Prayer is personal time with God. And I want to clarify, we should always pray. Jesus says we should always pray and not faint. That means you should be praying at any time. You're driving along, you're praying. Something comes to mind that you're concerned about, you just pray a quick prayer, Lord, I'm going to give that to you. What I'm saying is that surely Jesus did the same thing. However, he did stop all things and commit certain times to just prayer. So Jesus has already set an example of how and when we should pray. The only thing left for us to do is to follow his lead. Senior Pastor George Martin Jr. continues his series, and today he discusses the personal commitment to prayer in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. Let's listen as Pastor Martin explains. Today, as we continue in our lesson for the month, the undeniable power of prayer, we want to focus this, our attention this week on personal commitment in prayer. A personal commitment to prayer, that, that it's important for us to follow Jesus' example and develop, maintain a sense of a lifestyle of prayer. That prayer not exists in our lives as an event but as a continual developing existence, that we are those who are prayerful, those who exist with prayer as a part of that existence. I want to share a story with you. There were two young men seated, and they were just catching up and, and trying to uh, catch up on how things had been. They hadn't seen each other in a while. And so as the conversation progressed, one of the young men declared, with my busy schedule, I just don't have time to pray. To this, his friend responded, prayer is too important for me not to pray. But I do admit that there are times that I forget to pray. But I have committed to do so. Many of us, more often than we're willing to admit, we would agree or we could relate to the first young man, where we start to look at the busyness of life and how things are going, and oftentimes we're on the run or trying to play catch up, or sometimes feel so busy that we feel like we might run into ourselves. We're so busy that we're going around that we may even lap ourselves and run into ourselves because we're so busy. And we may feel, though, as though there just isn't enough time to commit time. And I'm not talking about the sense of I'm driving along, and as we talked about uh, last week, that, hey, call the name. That quick prayer while you're at the wheel, uh, praying there uh, when, uh, when an emergency arises, but we're talking about this week a commitment to prayer because we're talking about the reality of a need for a lifestyle of prayer. However, because of the significance of prayer, we should not look to find time for prayer. We should, like the second young man, make time for prayer. Because this week we're going to highlight how Jesus set the example for us. 
he made time for prayer. In spite of all that was going on, because when you look at our text today, looking at verse 15, his popularity is growing. People are coming in droves. They're, the multitudes are coming, and they're looking for, they're looking to draw up on him, and they say, hey, Jesus, heal me. I've got an infirmity. I've got a challenge. I need your help. And then we see uh, in verse 17 that after having withdrawn from pr to pray, then another multitude meets him, and they're there, and it says, and the power of God was there to heal. So we see that he was a very busy guy in high demand, and yet his busyness did not trump his need to make time for prayer. So I want to give you a focus statement this morning that helps guide us this morning. Listen to this. Jesus spent personal time in prayer with God the Father for strength and power, for instruction, for guidance, but also for communion. Now, that's a term that we relegate to the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, but the definition for communion is a cherished, familiar connection. A cherished, familiar connection. So Jesus made time to maintain his cherished communion with his father. That leads us to our first point for the day. Prayer is communion with our relational God. See, the beauty of the gospel message is Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We understand as we study the gospel message, we understand that because he was looking to reconcile men back to himself, that this God who created all things and declared things to be, and they were, desires to live or exist in relationship with mankind. So then prayer is our communing or our personal time with this God who wants us in relationship. Think about your relationships with those whom you uh, have known for some time. Now, one of the, 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 the challenges, one of the benefits of social media is that you're able to stay informed and you're able to stay connected. And even at times, maybe find or identify someone that you've, you've lost, lost, lost touch with. But the other challenge is it also robs us of true communion with others. Because I know the details of what's going on. I assume that I know how you're doing. But God is a relational God, and he made us to exist as relational beings. Because here's what we see. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Here's what God says. He says, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord. 
when we think about how magnificent that is, because here's the God who's created all things, and he's concerned enough that he wants you and I to exist in relationship with him. And so much so that he would call us his children, his sons and his daughters. We also see this relation, this relational God exhibiting himself also in 1 John, when John is talking about how Jesus came into the flesh, that he was God incarnate, he, he then says something in verse 12, John chapter 1 and 12, he says this, For, but as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. So when you think about relationship, and I want you to just visualize this. I was, I was trying to figure out a way, because I'm a very visual, and I love to bring visual prompts in, but I just couldn't figure out a way to give you this visual, because it would take too much. I'd have to try to get a van up here, and I'd have to bring my children up, and, and I'd have to sit there, and I'd have to give you this visual. So I'm just going to describe it for you. Ride along in the car with my children. They're all back, they're talking, they're discussing. I may be talking with them, they may be talking with me, but it's in the midst of this gathering. Now, that is certainly a good time for me to communicate or commune with them and to spend time with them. But I understand that in the midst of that environment, there are also distractions that may prohibit me and prohibit them from having my undivided attention. So in that context, yes, we come together, and, and here, here we were just like that van, like that car. We were all children talking to the Father a few minutes ago as a corporate prayer. However, I find it necessary to walk into their room while they're laying across their bed, sit down at the edge of the bed, and simply hear just their voice. Because I'm concerned about my children generally, and I want to make sure I protect them and I provide for them generally. But when I talk with them individually, I want to understand what can daddy do for just you? And this is the relational God who says, I understand that, yeah, we come together, we pray, and we pray in communion with others, but I want you to come and give me a chance to sit at the foot of your bed and to just hear what concerns you? What can daddy do just for you? This is important to establish because prayer is a relational endeavor. Prayer is a relational endeavor. Which is why when we learned last week when Jesus says, when the disciples says, how should we pray? He says, pray in this manner, our Father, relational. It draws you in while it draws him in. Because naturally we have a greater sense of comfort 
in the presence of those who we know love us. You ever talked to someone and you felt like they were ignoring you? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do, you, do you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Husband says, honey, you hear that? Yeah, I heard you. What'd I say? Uh, you, uh, you said uh, that you had something going on. Wife, husband said, hey, don't forget, don't forget to get that water when you go. She come back, she in. you get the water. Oh, wouldn't you say that? <laughs> Children, you say, hey, listen, get your stuff together. We're going to leave in 10 minutes. 20 minutes later, still sitting there. You hear me? What you say? So we understand that oftentimes there is this sense that we're not being heard as we exist in this life which is why God wants us to understand how important it is to recognize that prayer is a relational endeavor because you're coming to your father and your father is coming to you. Here's what, what James says. He says, if you would draw nigh to God, he draws nigh to you. When you say, God, I'm coming to you as your child, he says, I'm coming to you as your father. He responds because it's a relational endeavor our Father in heaven. Here's something to note as we go forward. Prayer is essential to a Christ-centered life, a life that is purposed to please God. If you're going to strive in your life to please your Father, your Heavenly Father, it's going to be through a prayer-centered life, a life that says, I want to make sure that Christ is at the center of my life, not in my, not in my life, at the center of my life. Because something in your back, something in your, in your life does not necessarily begin to impact your life. But whatever is at the center of your life, it begins to impact all of your life. Here's where we get, to, get this from. Because John records something that Jesus said. He says, in John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, I'm just going to quote some parts of that. He says, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me. That's verse 28. 29, he says, for I always do the things that, my father, that pleases him. See, as we're striving to be that child who pleases our father, it's going to be through this sense of communing with him so that he has an opportunity to impact our lives as we center our lives around him. So having read that, there's another thing we need to note. Let's note this. Jesus' life was God-centered. Therefore, he spent much time in communion with his father through prayer. Because our text says that he often withdrew to pray. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus, the son of God, with the power that he has, the connection that he has. And he says, 
I must pray. He commits himself to praying even though he's Jesus. I want you to see this because I don't think any of us here have enough arrogance and audacity that we would say, boy, I'm trying to be like Jesus, but I got a little ways to go. Will we say that? Can we, all, can we all agree we've got a ways to go be just like Jesus? We're striving to be like him, but we wouldn't say we're just like him. We're striving to be like him, right? And if he realized how significant prayer must be, his example is one that we can draw upon and say, this is necessary for us. So it, I'd like to define prayer this way, that prayer is personal time with God. And I want to clarify because I'm not saying that you, we, we should always pray. Jesus says we should always pray and not faint. That means you should be praying at any time. You're driving along, you're praying. You, uh, you, you have, something comes to mind that you're concerned about, you, you just quick, pray a quick prayer, Lord, I'm going to give that to you. What I'm saying is that surely Jesus did the same thing. However, he did stop all things and commit certain times to just prayer. And that's what we want to focus on today. Because this personal time is, as I said, because as you're praying, as we're praying, we are all collectively offering our, our request to the Lord. But it's in the midst of those moments where we understand this is my personal time that I'm talking, because husband and wife, my wife and I do this, we'll pray together. We'll pray together, uh, we'll pray together with the children. But there's something that is distinctly special or unique about when I step apart and talk to the Father. That's the key to this sense of personal time with God. Because a personal time with God is exhibited by the personal nature of prayer. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, when he began to focus attention on prayer, he says something in verse number six, chapter six, verse six. He says, but when you pray, now, he wasn't negating corporate prayer, group prayer, but he says, but when you pray, when you pray, when you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray, when you pray, he says, when you pray, go into your closet or your room. Now, I want to I explain something. He's talking about a personal place, a time. Where do you feel most connected to God? Because some of us feel most connected out in the wilderness, walking through the woods or walking at the park. There's, there are those who are prayer walkers. There are those who actually have carved out a place in your home where you go and you go there to pray. Some of us have even gone literally into a closet and made that our space, that movie War Room. You've seen that? She's in there, and, and uh, it's always so funny to me. The kids always get a kick out of this because she's in there and, and apparently was having some trouble with her, her footwork. And so the shoes were talking back in there. You, you remember that scene? She's in there and said, ooh, what is, what's that smell? 
See, but, but this was her place of prayer where she could go and commune with God. So I asked the question, where is your place? Is it in the car, driving along? Is it that morning commute where you say, God, I commit this time. I turn the radio off. Everything's off. I just want to have this time with you. Is it in the bathroom? Where, where is that place? Because Jesus says, when you pray, go into your personal space or your closet or your room. And here's the personal part of it. And when you have shut the door, when there's nobody there but you and me, when you decide this is my moment, my time with you, God, this is it. I've carved it out. I've made time for this. Pray to your father, here it is, who sees in the secret place. The father is saying, I'm looking for some secret place time with you. But look how he blesses. He says, and your father who sees in the secret place rewards openly. He said, if you would commit time to me, I'm going to commit some things to you that I'll reward you with. Secret place. There are times where God blesses us because we keep time with him in the secret place. Let me just testify. So we were flying once, and I was just, I was just uh, so, so, so much new to, to flying. And I had, I'd, I'd seen, um, you know, this is back when they still had the curtain on first class. That bothered me, that curtain. Because, you know, you like the lady, she smiled and shoo. I said, what are they doing up there? I wondered about that. So, so we're standing in the airport. And, I, and I, I was sitting there, and I said, I wonder what it's like to be up there. So we're standing in the airport, and they, were, they had already ordered the meals and things. They didn't want to waste it. So the, the young lady came over. She says, would you all like to be upgraded to first class? Now, mind you, I didn't just wander about first class. I checked it out to see if I could discover and experience it, but I realized I couldn't. So I, I, so I wandered about this, and, and, and so she comes over. She says, would you all like to be upgraded? I said, I certainly would, but we can't afford that. She said, for free. I said, well, yeah, please. <laughs> you can, we, got, we got three. There's three of us. Can all three of us go? So we get up there, and they're asking me what I wanted to eat. And I was like, oh, well, I think I'll have the chicken. And you know when, you, when you're flying, they, they, they'll ask you what drink you want. You say you want a Sprite. They, they, they pour you a little bit in the cup. Up there, she poured it and left the can. I said, <laughs> oh, I'm in first class. About halfway through the flight, as they've taken, and oh, wait a minute. No, look, they brought out a little napkin, when I opened up, there was actually silverware. 
And then she set this thing down. There was two little a salt shaker and a, a pepper shaker. I said, I don't even use these, but I'm going to just try it. <laughs> so I'm having this experience. And about halfway through the flight, the Lord says to me, he says, you didn't even ask for that, did you? You just wondered about it. And then this scripture came back to me. He says that the one who sees you in the secret place rewards you openly. Because here's what happened afterwards, Sister, Sister Marsha. Uh, the people there were trying to track, you know, you know what I did for a living. Like, well, what, what y'all do? I mean, <laughs> what kind of money you working with? Because you up here, yeah, you know, all of us, we all in first class. Because that was God rewarding openly. I couldn't afford to be there, but he had allowed me to be there because he sees in the secret place. And he rewards openly. Because here's something we talked about last week, that, that prayer is access to great possibilities. We've, we've shared that to start the, the series, that, 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 that prayer is access to great possibilities. I want to quote something from you. Uh, a, the author, E.M. Bounds, wrote a book published in 1923. He was a former lawyer and serviceman, army serviceman uh, who eventually became a Methodist preacher. He wrote a book called The Possibilities of Prayer, published in 1923. And here's what he said. How vast are the possibilities of prayer? How wide is its reach? What great things are accomplished by this divinely appointed means of grace? It brings things to pass which would never otherwise have occurred. The story of prayer is a story of great achievement. Prayer is wonderful, a wonderful, powerful place and placed by the Almighty God in the hands of his saints, which may be used to accomplish great purposes and to achieve unusual results. Amen. The only limits to prayer are the promises of God and his ability to fulfill them. He says the only limits is that the what has God promised and his ability to fulfill those promises, and we know that he has all power. So then there is no limit to the possibilities of prayer. As I prepare to close, second point is this. Making time for prayer is making time for God. Because if God is relational and, and prayer is personal time with him, and it's essential for us to do that to create this sense of a lifestyle of prayer, but also to help recalibrate our Christ-centeredness, then we should make sure that we commit to prayer because prayer takes commitment. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 says, it was, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, Hear this now. 
This is Jesus. And he continued all night in prayer. Now think about that. Have you ever tried to pray at night? We've had, we've had our disciple moments, haven't we? Lord, I'm going to just pray. I've done it. I'm down there, down on my knees. Brother Freddie, I'm down there praying. And boy, I'm really talking to the Lord. The next thing I know, my wife said, honey. Huh? Were you praying? I said, I was. <laughs> but here's Jesus. He's been working all day. He's been healing. He's been teaching. He's been impacting lives all day. And yet he commits to praying all night. See, the personal commitment we're talking about is that you commit it in your heart that it will be a priority in your life. That you will, even if you miss the mark, that you say, because I'm committed to do it, I got another mark to make. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 and 23. We talk about make time. Here's what he says. Immediately Jesus came, Jesus made his disciples to go. He says, you guys go ahead and go on the other side. Get in the boat and go on the other side. And then he went to pray. He is telling them, I need some time to pray. Oftentimes, we won't carve that time out. And when we do, we allow interruptions to take it away from us. You say, I'm going to pray 15 minutes. And within minute two, there's a text message. Ping. And you, 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 you're like, um, And when 15 minutes is up, you're still responding. But Jesus made time. He says, you guys go. I'm going to meet you over there because I need to make prayer a priority. The third and final point for the day. If prayer must be a priority, point number three is we must nurture a lifestyle of prayer. Nurture it. And if you've ever nurtured something, you understand that it doesn't go the same all the time, but your, your commitment to it, you do what it takes. Any gardeners out here? I'm not. My thumbs are somewhere between brown and black because I, I just can't keep things well, green. But those who garden understand uh, Brother Marshall Wesley, he is, boy, if you've ever, if you're ever down in Duncanville, call Brother Marshall up, just go by his yard. We stopped by there one day, put me to shame, Brother Terry. I was like, oh, I wanted to go and scrape all my grass up. Just like, oh, just, I'm just, I got a dirt, a dirt yard. Yep, this is the new thing, the dirt yard. Beautiful. And he's telling me how he cultivates it. He's, in the spring, he puts something down, and in the Summer, he puts something else down. His watering schedule changes. And, and I'm looking at this. I'm saying, wait a minute. Your grass is green and looks picturesque because you 
nurture it. So if we're going to have a lifestyle of prayer, it's going to come because we nurture it. That certain seasons, my prayer life changes because of the season I'm in. Certain things I've got to do at certain times to make sure I'm nurturing this, this season, nurturing this lifestyle of prayer because as Brother Marshall nurtures his yard, it's green because every season he's nurturing it. Even when he nurtures it differently from one season to the next because he's committed to it. Jesus says we should always pray, Luke chapter 18 and 1, and not faint. But I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and I'm done. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And here's why we came here. Being watchful to that end. That's the nurturing part, that I keep watch on my prayer life. I make sure that I'm watching, that I notice that I've not been praying like I should. That it doesn't have to be that there's some controversy or crisis that rises up, that I recognize I've not been praying like I should. And then I make this decision to recommit. Because I'm committed, I can keep committing and recommitting, and recommitting, and not giving up because I failed the last time. I said, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do 15 minutes every morning, and I haven't done it in two weeks. Recommit, because it's a part of my lifestyle. Hear this quote from the great evangelist, Billy Graham, and I will be done. He says, true prayer is a way of life, not just for use in cases of emergency. Make it a habit, and when the need arises, you're already in practice. He says if we make prayer something that we are practicing on a regular basis, and not just praying in crisis, he says when the crisis does come, we're already in practice. It's time to shoot. You can shoot the shot because you've been practicing. And it doesn't come to you with this struggle. This last thing just to encourage you as, as children of God. There's a story of a little girl by the name of Shalina. I'm going to share this, this, this with you. There's a four-year-old girl by the name of Shalina. And uh, her, her favorite story was The Three Little Pigs, which she asked her mom and dad to read every single night. Now, just thinking about that, I understand the father's plight because her father, who had a bright idea that, hey, this is becoming tiring, just every night reading this thing, but because she would re- gladly receive it every day. She wanted, every night she wanted to hear it. So what he decided to do was he recorded the story and put a recorder next to her bed. And he said, Shalina, when, uh, when you get ready to go to bed, you jump in bed and just push play. When 
He shared that with her. She protested. No, daddy. He said, well, honey, it's the same story that you want to hear every night. She says, right, daddy, but I can't get into its lap. See, the blessing, the story was the same. But for Shalina, it wasn't just the story. It was the fact that she was hearing the story in daddy's lap. See, when we commit to prayer and we understand that that's what's happening, I'm talking to you, God, but I'm, it's like climbing up into his lap as a father who's concerned about you. And the conversation ends up being unlike any other. The creator of the universe is eager to spend time with you. And he wants to spend time with me. But the only way we can experience this, this conversational communion with him is if we commit time, personal time. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.